We return to 1 Thessalonians again this morning. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. It says, finally, and Paul's like any other preacher, don't believe him. Finally then, brothers, we ask and we urge you in the Lord Jesus Christ that as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you should know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion and the lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one transgress or wrong his brother in this matter, because the Lord is an avenger in all of these things, as we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you. For God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this disregards not man, but God, who gives his Holy Spirit to you. Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. For what indeed is what for that indeed is what you have been doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. But we urge you, brothers, to do this more and more and to aspire to live quietly and to mind your own affairs and to work with your hands as we instructed you so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. Good morning. How are you? All right, I'll take that as an average of about 7 out of 10, okay? Uh, good, it's good to see you this morning. As we jump in this morning to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, what I really want to do is I want to jump straight into the good news right away. Now, as we read that passage of Scripture, there's stuff that jumps off the page to us, and we're going to get to that in just a moment, but I want us to hear and to see and embrace and to understand the headline in this passage of Scripture, the good news that is for us today. Today. And here is that good news. Are you ready? You're, you ready? Are you sitting down? God has a plan for your holiness. God has a plan for your holiness. Yes, you. I know that some of us, that's a really big stretch of the imagination. That is an amazing thing to think about. Now, you may think about, you know, there's a person in your life that you were ever asked to say, name the greatest Christian that you know. Name someone that would come under the category of super Christian. Most of us have at least one person in our life that we could think of, and when we think, okay, now it's real possible that that person could be on the path to holiness. I could believe it for them. But the amazing thing is that God has a plan, not just for their holiness, but for my holiness and for your holiness as well. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, we want to take in this truth. We want to take in this understanding. Lord, we, we want to make sure that we hear your voice so clearly this morning. And so, Lord, I pray that we would be attentive, our hearts would be soft, our mind would be ready to respond to you. We pray this in your name. Amen. This idea of God's plan for your holiness really comes out of verse 4 of chapter 4. It talks about God's will for your life, your sanctification. 
Now, every once in a while, we'll come across one of these church words. And when I call them a church word, it's a really long word that we never use any place outside of church or talking about church things. Sanctification is one of those words. I doubt that any of you had a moment this week when you looked at something and you were amazed by something and you said, well, I'll be sanctified. I don't think that any of you had a conversation with somebody that said, oh, what are your plans this weekend? I don't know. I'm just hoping for some rest and sanctification. Uh, in fact, I have researched it. The word sanctification has never been in the title of any top 40 song in history. And I think it's ever been in the, the lyrics of any top 40 song in history. Sanctification is one of those church words that we never use outside of church. Now what's interesting is that some of your translations may actually say directly to be made holy. Because that's what sanctification means. It means the process of being holy. So here is the statement. God's will for your life is your sanctification for you to be made holy. Now, someone has pointed out in my reading this week that sanctification is a gift that God gives to you, and it is also a demand that God puts on our life. The idea is that we are to become more and more holy all of the time. It is the holiness that he wants for us. He, he talks about this in this passage, that you are doing great in your walk with God. Now do more. Continue to grow. Increase your sanctification. Increase your holiness. Move in that direction. It is a gift that God gives to us. So that's the good news. God has a plan for your holiness, and it is a demand that's on our life that says, listen, be working toward that. Uh, but I would also add to that, not only is it a gift that's given to us, not only is it a demand for us, but it's a journey. It's a journey. Let's think this morning uh, about Mount Rushmore. Anyone ever been uh, to Mount Rushmore? Boy, it'd be fantastic, uh, and I'm semi-serious about this, to take a church trip to Mount Rushmore. Well, wouldn't that be fun? We all just loaded up in cars, and we, and we made that journey together. I, I've looked it up on the map. Uh, it, it's going to take us a little while uh, to get there. Um, it's 1,517 uh, miles, 22 hours and 7 minutes, if we don't stop uh, to do that. Now, if we were to make that trip, you know what we would call that trip? We, we would call it, well, we might call it crazy, but, but we would call that the Mount Rushmore trip because that's the destination that we're headed to. That doesn't necessarily mean that when we've hit Kentwood that we're there. It's just part of the journey. We are making our way there. It is the Mount Rushmore trip that we are on. We are in the process of our sanctification. That does not mean that we are holy yet, but it means that we are on our way moving in that direction, even though we're not there yet. Now, there'll be stops along the way. And you'll have memories about the trip, and you'll describe something that happens in Missouri or something. And say, oh, that happened on the Mount Rushmore trip. That was part of the sanctification. And so there are stops. There are places that go quicker. There are places that slow us down. But that is the direction. That is the destination that we're going to. Now, if you put the map back up real quick, there are a couple of issues. If you hit Jacksonville... Somebody else needs to give directions. You are moving in the wrong direction. 
If you hit Phoenix, you've gone the wrong direction. If people start speaking Spanish, you've got this wrong. Now, when it comes to our sanctification, it is a journey, it is a gift, it is a calling upon our life. Now you and I are called to move on that journey. We are on this sanctification journey toward our holiness. We're not there yet, but we're supposed to be on their way. Now let's back up just for a moment and remember the context of the story of the church in Thessalonica. These, every single person reading this letter is a brand new believer in Christ. Every single person who is reading this letter is taking in every bit of information about what it means to be a follower of Christ. And so this idea of being made sanctified, being made holy, they're making notes as fast as they possibly can. How do we do this? And keep in mind, Paul was whisked away from them. Their teachers in the faith were suddenly gone. And so they are trying to cobble together every piece of information that they can, living in a context that has no interest in Jesus whatsoever. And so Jesus called calls on them to live a life that is sanctified, that is moving toward holiness. Paul says, this is God's will for your life, your sanctification. And you can kind of see the people in the church in Thessalonica raising a hand quietly in the back and say, Paul, could you give us a little bit more instruction on what that looks like? How do we get there? It kind of feels like we're a long ways away from sanctification. But what do we do to move in that direction? How do we get to that place? Well, this is what Paul has been talking about for several verses now. In fact, he's been saying, listen, the things that God is doing inside of your life, continue to do that more and more. May you see that increased. And then he says, you know the things that we gave you instructions about. And what he does is he circles back on three areas of significant growth in our sanctification and our spiritual development and our movement toward the holiness that God calls us toward. And he identifies these three places and says, listen, start here in terms of focusing and growing your spiritual life. You ready? Here are the three places that the Spirit of God through the Apostle Paul calls in our life as milestones, as direction points in terms of our sanctification. He, he tells us that we move forward when our sex life doesn't exist outside of our faith life. We move forward when our sex life doesn't exist outside of our faith life. Now that's a doozy, isn't it? But I'll tell you, I'm just reading what it says right here on the page. Well, what it says here in verse 4 is that it says, verse 3, it says, For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality. The definition here of sexual immorality is anything that exists outside of a relationship between a husband and wife. That is God's plan for sexual expression inside of our lives. And so he says, listen, if you want to move forward spiritually, one of the things that you have to do is that you have to focus on the fact that your sex life has to come under the umbrella of your faith life which means that the place for sexual expression is inside of your marriage. Now listen, for the church in Thessalonica, that was, that was downright stunning because they lived in a town and a day in a community 
where not only was that not popular, but that didn't exist. That, that idea of a disciplined sexual life hadn't even crossed anybody's mind. They lived in a culture, they lived in a place where there are no rules and no limits in your search for sexual gratification. It's no big deal. It's just sex. You have a right to whatever you feel like doing. That's the culture and the environment that the church in Thessalonica dealt with. Does that feel familiar at all? Sometimes we can get so discouraged and sometimes we can get so frustrated and say, oh, the world is so messed up today. Maybe. But don't get the impression that we've invented any new sins. The, the, the sins that we're dealing with today, the sins that surround us, the sins that challenge us today, they've been around for a really long time. We are not the first generations of Christians to have to deal with this challenge. In fact, Paul writes this to this church that when they hear this, that says, listen, sexual expression belongs inside of marriage, that the people that were hearing this, their neighbors would have said, come on, really? Are you serious? Yes. Says who? Well, says the Word of God, says the voice of God, says the Spirit of God, says God Himself. This is where that lives out. It was a challenge for that church in Thessalonica. It was something that was brand new that would have been introduced uh, to them in this place. But what we discover in reading this passage of Scripture is that our sex life is a place for discipline. We may have some weather out there someplace. But our sex life is a place for discipline. The passage of Scripture says that we are to have control over our own body, that we are not to be led around by our urges. We are not to be led around by our passions where every time you just feel like doing something, you are doing it. The Word of God says, listen, <laughs> your head, your spirit, the spirit of God that's inside of you has to demonstrate some discipline, some control in your own life. You're not riding shotgun for some other parts of your body that are in charge. Your sex life is a place for discipline. It also tells us that your sex life is a place for discipleship. You see, one of the things that I want you to notice very clearly in this passage of Scripture is he is drawing a distinction between the people of God and the people who do not know God. In fact, in this passage of Scripture, he says, listen, do not live your life like the Gentiles. And the Gentiles here is a, a, a description of people who do not know God. Now, this is the Word of God. You should not have the same sex life as a person who does not know God. Your sex life should be different because you are a follower of Jesus Christ. In fact, one of the things that I didn't really understand about before moving to Louisiana was the, the opportunity that you would have in buying real estate, that you can buy a house and a piece of property, but you did not have the rights to what was beneath the house or the piece of property. There's the house, and there are the mineral rights. And there's the stuff on the top of the dirt, and there's the stuff that's below the dirt. One of the things that Jesus says to us is that he has the mineral rights to our life. 
not just to the stuff that's on the top, but to the stuff that's on the bottom. And he says you are to live differently, both in the public ways that everyone sees your life, but also in the private parts of your life as well. Our sex life is a place. Our sex life is a place for discipline. Our sex life is a place for discipleship. And I would also say that our sex life is a place for discernment. Discernment means being able to see the wisdom to see what's right. One of the things that we discover is that as we submit our lives to God's definition and plan for sex and for marriage is that our lives are better and stronger and righter. In fact, in this conversation where Paul talks about sex, he talks about when you live rightly, then you won't harm your brother or the people around you in your life. You see, there's a temptation inside of our lives that says, I'm just going to do what I feel like doing. It's my business. It's not anyone else's business. But many of you know that when we live outside of these boundaries and instructions and graces of God, that harm happens. And the discernment that we have is, not only is this the rule of God, not only is this the instruction of God, but this is the goodness of God for our lives. Oh, that's not good. You don't know where I was 90 days ago. You don't know where I was this week. And what I want you to know is that we are called not only to live under the authority of God, but we are called to live under the grace of God. And the calling on your life is not to beat yourself up over mistakes that you've made in the past, but to repent over those things and say that as God has revealed this inside of my life, this is the direction my life goes starting now. That's what sanctification looks like. We don't start at holiness. We move from where we are toward holiness. And so when the people of the church in Thessalonica say, okay, what, is, what does this look like? Paul says, listen, one of the places in which we grow in our sanctification is that we make sure that our sex life is under the submission of our faith life. He also says that we move forward when our personal relationships <clears throat> don't exist outside of our faith life. When our personal relationships don't exist outside of our faith life. This is verses 9 and 10, and what he says... And what he says here in this passage of Scripture is that, listen, you are doing a great job of loving the people around you. And you're doing a great job of loving the other believers. But he says, continue to do that more and more and more. You wonder if you could tell whether you walked into a church that loved one another? 
Do you think that you could feel that? That you could visit three churches in a row and one of them you would say, boy, that's a church that really, really loves, uh, that is a church that really, really loves one another. And, and then maybe you go to the next church and say, whoa, man, there is something in that water. There, there, there's something there that, that ain't right. And maybe there's another church that you go to and it's like, I can't really tell. About a century and a half after this letter is written, there's a Christian leader named Tertullian, and he describes some of the conversation that is happening about the early Christian church. And he says, behold how the Christians love one another. He says it's an amazing thing that, that people just notice and that they can see that, that there is this deep affection for one another amongst the Christians. Do you think that's the conversation that exists today? That people look out and say, boy, those Christians, they, they sure love each other. Now listen, I kind of glanced across the room today before church started, and I loved watching you come together. And I love seeing, oh, so-and-so so glad to see so-and-so, and, and just the relationships and the encouragement that you are to one another. I, it, it was a blessing. But every once in a while, Christians can get mad at each other. Every once in a while, church members will, will fight. Now, you'll have to look it up on Wikipedia because you've never seen it in your own life. But, but every once in a while, church members can get mad at each other. Now, I'm grateful that you don't see as often where pastors get as mad at each other. But there are some corners of Twitter that you all don't need to go to where there is just as much fisticuffs and all kinds of stuff that's going on. I don't know how often our neighbors would say, behold, okay, maybe they wouldn't say behold. Wow, how those Christians love one another. Now really the whole point of this part of the message in this point of the text is not for us to feel guilty about conflict, but it's to call us toward love and affection. It really builds on what we talked about last Sunday about the washing of each other's feet and says, listen, if there is the opportunity to put the needs of someone else before your own needs, that's what we do. That's the way that we love each other. And so the calling is, man, you're doing a great job loving one another, but do so more and more and more. Here's the thing is probably you are already loving all of the easy people. What's left is some of the difficult people. How do we deal with that? I tried to figure that out for myself. and so I, I kind of just wrote down a couple of things in terms of how we deal with loving the difficult people. One of the things is I have to remember that we're on a shared journey. That they're dealing with some stuff. They're trying to grow in their holiness just like I'm trying to grow in my holiness. They are followers of Christ just like I'm a follower of Christ. And I have to recognize they're with me and I'm with them. Sometimes I have to remind myself that man, they're made in the image of God. And they've been granted gifts 
and personalities and experiences that are unique to them and in fact God has given them. And in fact, no matter how much I find them to be abrasive, they have the fingerprints of God all over their life. And I need to remember that. And then I have to remind myself that I got some stuff too. And as much as I can point out, boy, they are so obnoxious when they do such and such. Or man, I can't believe how they do this or they do that. I got to know that there are some people driving home from church today that are saying, I can't believe why Tim does this and Tim does that. And boy, it is so obnoxious when, when this happens. And you have to do that same thing. That, that as easy it is to identify the obnoxious, the flawed, the limited places in other people's lives. Uh, listen, you, you got some of those as well. And we can't give more grace to ourselves than we give to other people. We can't come to the, to the pie of God's grace and say, let me slice me this giant half of the pie and then give everybody else slivers of grace. Man, we, we, we've got to give grace to ourselves that comes from God, and we've got to learn how to give other people grace as well. Do you know when we use grace? It's when we're broken, flawed, and sinful. You, we, we only extend grace to the places that are broken. So we only use grace in the hard places. But Paul says if you want to move forward, then our personal relationships can't exist outside of our faith life. That we have to love one another just as we're doing, but even more and more. There's a third area, and this is verses 11 and 12, and that is that we move forward when our public life doesn't exist outside of our faith life. Let's take a look at it here in verses 11 and 12. It says that we love our brothers and do this more and more. In verse 11 it says, and to aspire, and this is from the Word of God, okay? This is right here. That we aspire to live quietly, to mind our own affairs, to work with our hands as we were instructed so that we may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. Man, that's practical. That, that's, that's like at a level of life that sometimes we're not used to thinking about the Word of God giving to us. Here's what it says. <laughs> that we mind our own business and we're not nosy people. Okay? It says that we go to work and we work with our hands and we make a contribution to the community. It says that we live our lives in a way that people can look across the fence and say, I don't know everything about that person, but I respect them. That's the Word of God. The Word of God for our lives is that people will define Christianity by looking at our lives. 
And it says that, that we need to live in such a way as that we are the best person to live next door to, that we are the best person to work next to, that we are the best person to be in-laws with, we are the best persons to be Facebook friends with. Because your faith, where you live a quiet life, you're not a nosy person. You work hard. And people can say, I respect that person. Here is one of the deep growing convictions in my life in these days. What I believe that every person in this world today needs is that they need to have someone in their life who loves Jesus and loves them. Every person in Tangipahoe, in St. Tammany and Livingston, Orleans and Jefferson, every person where you set foot this week needs someone in their life that loves Jesus with all their heart, soul, and mind and loves them. Sometimes we can get the first half of that right. Man, I love Jesus so much. But our neighbors haven't tasted any of that love. They've not tasted what it means to have a person who loves Jesus to love them. It's part of our journey toward sanctification that we get our sex life right, our relationships right, and then our public life outside of the church, in the neighborhood, in the workplace. We get those things right. So what's my challenge for you this morning? I don't know if anyone else remembers this, whether you, your school had this, did you have like that circle tug-of-war rope? I mean, there's the long tug-of-war rope, but then there was the circle one. It was the same kind of thing, and everyone just kind of pulled on it in different directions. All right, never mind. It was just me. I have to go buy one of those now. But it was just this big circle, and you could put things inside the circle, and you could put things outside of the circle. But I want to do encourage you to do this morning So I want you to think about your life. And I want you to think about the things that we've talked about this morning. Our sex life. Our personal relationships with those inside of the life of the church. Our public life with those who do not know Christ. And then I want you to take that circle and I want you to figure out which one of those things fit inside the circle of your faith so far and which things have been excluded from the circle of your faith. Then I want you to kind of add some other parts of your life that really, really matter. Maybe your finances, maybe your emotions, your hopes, your dreams, just some of the other parts of life. I want you to put them on that same list and I want you to just kind of look and see the circle of the places where Christ has authority over your life, that you've given Christ authority of your life.
that you are submitted to him. How many of these things fit inside the circle? And how many of these things fit outside of the circle? You see, the, the journey to sanctification, the journey to the holiness that God calls for us, is that we extend that circle into more and more parts of our life every single day. Now some of those things can sometimes jump back and forth. But what we do is we take that circle of our faith and we try to reach it and extend it as far as it can possibly go. Let me pray for you this morning.